大家晚上好，这里是正在为您演讲的三台新闻。Welcome to Merrick's Experts, a podcast that provides analysis of current affairs in China. Hello and welcome to a new Merrick's podcast. I'm Ruth Kirchner. Thanks for joining us. China and the U.S.—that's probably the most important bilateral relationship in the world. The world's two biggest economies, the established and the rising superpower, as some put it. And a relationship with a lot of contentious issues, from cybersecurity to trade and economics to North Korea and the South China Sea. With me to discuss Sino-American relations is Jonathan Pollack, senior fellow at the Brookings Institution in Washington and a specialist on U.S.-China relations and East Asian security issues. Now let's start with North Korea. We are seeing a more cooperative approach.、Uh, China and the U.S. are working a little bit more closely together, at least in the Security Council. But、um, the fundamental differences on how to deal with Pyongyang they remain, don't they? Yes, they do. This has been a protracted process of negotiation, trying to reach now a final agreement on the content of a resolution, because. Theoretically, the United States and China share common cause here, but how to go about it is a different matter. And the question here is whether or not China sees and will act upon North Korea being a common danger and risk to both countries. The common interests they have—that、um, is non-proliferation. But、um, how do they differ in, in, in strategy to achieve that? Well, I think、uh, this is where China does not openly acknowledge the extent to which North Korea continues to defy、uh, China's preferences. It bites the hand that feeds it, but China still feels wedded to a process that the Chinese themselves helped create. More than ten years ago, even though the conditions under which that was created and now are very, very different, because North Korea has now tested nuclear weapons four occasions. They're the only state in the world to test nuclear weapons in the 21st century. They're the only state in the world that has ever withdrawn from the Non-Proliferation Treaty. So, if the treaty is to have meaning, China has to be prepared ultimately to be much tougher on North Korea than it has been so far. But they are、um, reluctant to put any more pressure on them that、uh, would lead maybe to disruption, as they often would put it. They are very afraid of destabilizing the region. They do have a point there, don't they? They they do have a point. On the other hand, if North Korea believes that there are no particular consequences that flow from their actions, they will have no incentive to change their behavior. They will persist. In a longer run sense, in trying to sustain various programs and the like. Now, China criticizes the United States, criticizes the policy of what some Americans call strategic patience. In point of fact, two countries have a strategic patience approach. One is the United States; the other is China. In the long run, then, how committed do you think is China to? Non-proliferation, or are they sort of、uh, quietly accepting that North Korea is a nuclear state? I don't think that they accept it as such. But the real issues here, in a way, go beyond proliferation as such. They concern much more 
fears that China has about what could happen in the North, fears also of North Korea, despite its dependence on China, becoming an avowed adversary of China. So these are dilemmas that the Chinese would rather prefer to buy a certain amount of time, avoid some moment of reckoning, and hope that at some point internal circumstances in North Korea would evolve in a way that would leave North Korea no other choice but to begin to yield ground on its nuclear weapons programs. That's a very big long-term calculation. There's no reason to believe in the near term that it can be achieved, but nonetheless, China persists with it. This is Merrick's Experts. With me in the Merrick studio is Jonathan Pollack of the Brookings Institution. We are discussing Sino-American relations and security issues in East Asia. Now, one of the most contentious issues, apart from North Korea maybe, um, is the South China Sea. There we have seen much more assertive Chinese behavior, and that is something the U.S. doesn't really like. How dangerous do you think uh, the situation is in the South China Sea? And um, how big is the danger that it could lead to a confrontation between the U.S. and China? If there is a confrontation, it will be through inadvertence rather than by design on either side. And I'm not as alarmed about this as many are. I mean, many would argue that there are fundamental principles here at stake. I personally don't believe that China poses a fundamental threat to freedom of navigation. China is the world's biggest trading state. But there is an unease about the idea that China has begun to take steps that consolidate its control and give China potential options uh, in the event things go very, very badly. Recognize also that um, to a certain extent, uh, the events in the South China Sea serve the bureaucratic interests of constituencies both in the United States and China. So I don't want to be overly cynical about this, but I think we need to bear those in mind as well. I don't think that the Chinese are looking for a confrontation, but they are taking steps that give them options that they did not possess before. The critical test would be if they pushed outward from what their current position and undertook actions that would be more coercive toward other contestants for control of these various islands and reefs and so forth. But we're not at that point, and I think that the real goal of policy would be to make sure that we don't get to that point. Uh, but some analysts would argue that uh, what we see in the South China Sea, the China's behavior, it's almost like a sort of taste of things to come, maybe in the relationship between the U.S. and China, uh, and that is a much more confrontational relationship, um, much more rivalry between the two. I, I would distinguish between what might be a more competitive relationship that might even be a natural phenomenon given the the power of both countries as distinct from a confrontation. Confrontation implies the possibility of direct conflict uh, and the like. And as I say, I don't, I, I don't think that either country seeks that, but things do happen. So I think both countries have to proceed very, very carefully here. If the noise level is raised here too much, that's when sentiment gets aroused, uh, maybe in both countries, 
And the question is really whether or not the United States and China can find ways to both manage the risks here, limit the possibilities of any possible confrontation, because if if we do get to the point of confrontation, then we have really entered a very, very different domain. Then finally, let me ask you um, a question that I think a lot of policy analysts uh, usually hate because it is within the realm of predicting the future. How do you see the Sino-American relationship developing and evolving, especially given that we're having elections in the US later this year? Or what kind of impact do you see that having on the relationship? Uh, the election is more a near-term phenomenon. What I am struck by is that every president since Richard Nixon has essentially reconfirmed the nature of the understandings that enabled the United States and China to initially open relations. And that has been sustained through conservative Republicans to liberal Democrats to everything in between. So the rhetoric in a campaign needs to be distinguished from the realities of governance. And in this respect, China is Depending on how you measure it, it is either the first or the second leading trading partner of the United States. That's only going to grow with time. Both countries, whatever their political differences and whatever their suspicions of one another, the reality of what we'll call complex interdependence is manifest every day in any number of ways between both countries. It's that very foundation that, that makes it very, very difficult, even if a new president wanted to move toward a more uh, sharp direction, that it's, it's easier said than done. And on that note, uh, that's where we leave it for now. Uh, Jonathan Pollock, thank you a lot for your insights. That was Jonathan Pollock, Senior Fellow at the Brookings Institution in Washington. I'm Ruth Kirchner. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. You have been listening to Merrick's Experts, a podcast from the Mercator Institute for China Studies in Berlin. Merrick's is one of the largest international think tanks for independent policy-oriented research on contemporary China.